Alright, before we get going, I do have to thank a few Patreon subscribers, some new ones. We got Aaron, Maria, Chad, Catherine Wolf, Megan, and Kim Phillip. And I also got to give a huge thank you to Melissa, who did the uh, the Venmo one-time donation. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Fucking very generous donation. You can find me on Venmo at MC Podcast for just a one-time donation if you like one of my episodes or something or whatever the case might be. So thank you all very, very much. And uh, this episode, I kind of wanted to stay a little bit lighthearted. I know we're at the tail end of all the lockdowns and all that shit. So I've been trying to keep it a little lighthearted here recently, just because everybody's already depressed enough as it is for the most part, you know. Without further ado, on with the show. Have you ever wondered where the term chicken nugget came from? Well, I never really wondered either, but I'm about to tell you anyway. There's a popular rumor about a man in 1889 selling a chicken to a wealthy prospector, but he convinced this man the chicken was worth the price of one golden nugget. This is where the commonly used term chicken nugget originated from. (laughs) But the story behind the man in this rumor is what we are really here to talk about. The man was named Joseph Weil, also known as the Yellow Kid. Joseph Weil was born in July of 1875, and he lived to the ripe old age of 100 years old, and he passed away in February of 1976. He is one of the most well-known con men of his era, and it's estimated that over the course of his 100 years on this earth, he stole over $8 million, which in today's money would be over $100 million. Weil was famously quoted as saying, Each of my victims has larceny in his heart. Weil was born and raised in Chicago by his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Otto Weil. They owned a grocery store that gave them a pretty modest living. Weil used to help in the store some after school, but he says his love was truly at the horse races. He would sneak off to go and watch, but could not afford to bet himself. Now, he did pretty good in school. He was a very good pupil, but he did quit school at the age of 17 to begin work as a collector for Chicago Loan Sharks. While he's working in this industry, he did not make much money, but he noticed his peers keeping portions of their boss's profits. This gave him his first idea on how to make some real money. He told them for a fee, he would keep his mouth shut. And believe it or not, they did pay this kid to keep his mouth shut. Now, eventually he moved up in the world of illegal profit and he started working in the protection rackets. After this, a very well-known man from Chicago named Doc Merriweather took him under his wing. This is what started one of his first actual cons and uh, it was selling Merriweather's Elixir. This was a traveling medicine show, right, which were popular at the time. They claimed to be doctors selling a patented oil or elixir to cure anything from deadly illnesses to wrinkles to just removing stains. Majority of these shows were fake, including Merriweather's Elixir, which was mostly just bottled rainwater with some alcohol and flavoring to make it taste good. So when they would travel and they were doing their shows, 
Weil would mostly pose as a customer in the audience. And when, you know, the doctor was done with his whole spiel, he would say he needed two bottles. Doc would say two, but you only need one to cure tapeworm. And Weil would reply, I need it for my two children. The charade would go on from there with Weil telling the audience about how he owes his life to the elixir. They would also offer home treatments where they would make a more potent mix of the elixir, which included uh, Epsom salts, which is a natural laxative. And the patient was led into another room where he would wait until the medicine quote-unquote took effect. And once he took his shit, (laughs) Doc Merriweather would lead the patient out of the room and Wyle would run in and throw a long uh, spiral peeling of potato that had been soaked in water into the basin, right? And the Doc would then act all surprised and tell the patient that uh, this was his tapeworm. You know, and that he was now cured with this magic elixir. Like, they straight up had this con going on, right? In 1903, Weil was working with a uh, grifter named Frank Hogan. They did pretty small cons together, and a Chicago alderman and protector of vice operations in the red light district realized there was a comic named Hogan's Alley and the Yellow Kid, which was super popular at the time. The alderman, who called himself Bathhouse John, uh, his last name was Coughlin, he coined the nickname Yellow Kid for Weil as he was working with uh, someone named Hogan. So Weil has stated in his autobiography, which if you go to look up his autobiography, it's wild. Um, you can get a hardcover print of this autobiography for like... I think it's $852 on on Amazon, but you can also buy a paperback new copy off of Amazon for like 13 bucks. So just if you see that high price, just know if you're if you are interested in it, because this dude was super famous. I mean, super famous. So in his autobiography, the main people thought he got his nickname from wearing all yellow all the time. But that is absolutely false. Coughlin and Weil were actually pretty good friends. Although Coughlin was a reputable man, he was friends with a lot of con artists and those who made money how they could. Now, Coughlin never participated or profited off of any of the cons, but he was a pretty friendly man and he treated everybody well. So he naturally treated Joseph Weil, you know, well too. With Wiles' original obsession being the horse races, for a time he came up with many ideas for, you know, swindling men at the races. Okay, one story in particular was about a German man who owned a deli that Wiles used to frequent all the time. At the time, Wiles would dress very flashy, like diamond rings, diamond pendants, you know, he had expensive suits. Now, the German delicatessen owner, his name was Kahn, one day inquired about what Weil did for a living. Weil told him that he owned stock in the racetrack. So Khan expressed interest, but said he had never gone. So Weil, the yellow kid, invited him to go along the following Tuesday. So while they're at the track, Khan noticed a man selling red hots at a concession stand. He was amazed that the man was able to sell them for 10 cents a piece, which is, you know, a pretty 
big profit back then. So Weil took notice and told him to watch the man for a few minutes and estimate how much profit he makes in a day. While Khan was distracted, Weil found his accomplice, you know, at that time, a guy named Bob, Bob Collins, and they checked an office they knew was always unlocked. So they found out that it was empty, and Collins waited there, and Joseph Weil returned to Khan. And Khan was amazed at the man's profit, and uh, the yellow kid asked if he would like to have a concession stand there. So Khan couldn't believe that this was even a possibility, and Joseph Weil, you know, told him they would go talk to the man in charge. So they went to the office where Collins acted as the concession manager. Now, as they discussed opening up a stand for Khan, they asked him if he wanted to be in on the quote-unquote killing coming up, you know, which is like was a huge profit scam. And Khan, of course, had no idea what this meant. And they explained that to make up for any rainy or slow days, they do a rigged race every so often so that they have a high profit margin to make up for the slow days. They told Khan they knew who would win that day and urged him to bet so he can profit as well, you know, with them. At first, Khan said he could only put down 500 bucks, and the men ended up talking him into putting down 5000 So Joseph Weil set up a fake office in a pool hall to collect the money, and they conned him into betting even more by Joseph Weil telling Khan he had to step out, but if someone called for him to take the call. As Joseph Weil left, Collins called and pretended to be the man from the racetrack. He told Khan to tell Joseph Weil to quote-unquote bet as much as possible. So when Joseph Weil returns and Khan relayed the message, he, you know, told him, he's like, listen, this is super urgent. I, you know, I'm going to bet $10,000. Now, in the commotion of everything going on, Khan felt like he should bet more too. And after getting the money, the men took off and Joseph Weil never saw Khan again. They would do similar shit to other guys like all the time. Another thing that they would do, they would go to the racetrack and... Joseph Weil, you know, known as the Yellow Kid, he would always know who was going to win. And how this worked out was, and it wasn't because he was like juicing up the horses or making the other horses slower. It was because the winners of the races were sent out on the wires by Western Union. So Joseph Weil would pay off somebody from Western Union to make those wires just a few minutes slower coming through and he would find out who won the race before the wires came out to everybody else so he would have a chance to hurry up and make a last fucking minute bet on all these races and he actually knew who won the race and then a few minutes later the wire would come out and they'd read the winners fucker would win like every single time you know what i mean it's honestly pretty smart but like uh, like Khan, the guy Khan that we just talked about, he was what is referred to as a mark. So when they would go to these pool halls, like everybody else is in on it except for the mark. Like the bartender's in on it, everybody in the bar's in on it, 
the phone calls, everything. But they would scam people out of so much money doing this shit. In 1924 alone, Joseph Weil made about half a million dollars off of 20 different marks. In today's money, in that one year, 1924, in today's money, he made $7.2 million in one year off of straight-up conning people, doing it that way, which is absolutely insane. So for a long time, Joseph Weil ran cons with a man named William Winterbell. One New Year's Eve, the men stopped into a bar to grab a drink on their way home to uh, get their wives, and they found the bar empty, and in you know, there was a bartender working just madder than fuck, right? And the bartender said he hated owning the bar and the next man to offer him $300 could have the place. So not thinking he was serious, Joseph Weil and Winterbill said they'd give him 300 bucks. The man took the money and told them they could have the bar and everything, stock included. And that's how Joseph Weil came to own his own bar and saloon. So not long after the reopening, they were told they had to buy a new liquor license uh, that cost $1,000. So Joseph Weil thought, you know, this was too big of a cost. He's like, I'm going to sell out. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to pay this shit. I'm just going to sell you my half. Then they meet this man from Atlas Brewing Company. The man offered them a different location with higher traffic and said they would pay for the license. The men, obviously, they couldn't say no to that. So they hired bartenders, managers, you know, all that good stuff to run the place. So they didn't even have to be tied down and had a legitimate and lucrative business going on at the same time they were running all these cons. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now it's time for a word from one of my favorite sponsors, AMC Network's Shutter.com. Shutter is a premium video service brought to you by AMC Networks, offering an unbeatable selection of expertly curated horror, supernatural, and thrillers, uncut and commercial free, with exclusive and original titles you won't find anywhere else. Start your free trial today, risk free. You can stream all this for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment, and it is referred to as the Netflix for horror. There are new spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense added weekly. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices like iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, Android devices, literally everything. Shudder has a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series. They have horror classics and blockbuster hits. As you guys know, I have stated several times, I'm a huge fan of Shudder.com. I'm a horror freak. I get into that kind of stuff. I get into the thrillers and stuff like that. So 
for me personally, it's super easy, man. I just literally log on to the app on my Android phone and I can sit there and watch it, you know, as much as I want. It's pretty damn awesome. And there's always something to watch. Some of the exclusive titles that are currently available. You got Creepshow, which is a Shudder original series. Cursed Films, which is a Shudder original. The Deadlands, which is a Shudder original. Three from Hell by Rob Zombie. Shudder exclusive, and we all love the Rob Zombie movies, I'm pretty sure. We got one called The Room, which is a Shudder exclusive again. One Cut of the Dead, which is a Shudder exclusive. Horror Noir, which is an original documentary by Shudder. You got Lizzie, which is a Shudder exclusive. You got Mandy. You honestly got so many titles and options, it literally is like the Netflix for horror. So how do you get it for 30 days for free? Go to Shudder.com and use the promo code MCPODCAST. That's Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Type in the promo code MCPODCAST, get 30 days for free, and check it out. You guys can thank me later. You're going to love it. Another scheme that Joseph Weil was involved in was buying up a bunch of swampland in Michigan at a super cheap price. He then bought a bunch of fake deeds and wrote the lot numbers on them and gave them to his friends and other random people or people, you know, that he was conning and shit. Then he suggested that they call to get it recorded that they bought the land. So when they would call the county recorder, he replied that it was a $30 fee to record a new deed. Now, even though $30 was a bunch of money back then, people still paid it because the land itself was a gift. You know, they didn't have to pay anything for it. Well, what they didn't know is that Joseph Weil had made a deal with the county recorder for every $30 fee, Joseph Weil would get $15 of it. So, you know, he started becoming very well known in the city of Chicago, right? His name was in the newspaper blotters all the time. He was dubbed the King of Con Men by reporters. And in fact, he was so well known, he was somewhat of a legend. And to this day, criminologists devote a lot of space in their books to him. He was an extremely elusive guy. And it was known that he did not discriminate in his schemes. He would, he would swindle anyone gullible enough to fall for it. He worked with an ex-policeman named uh, Frederick Buckminster, who was known as the Deacon. He worked with him for a long time after he arrested Joseph Weil and then let him go when Weil paid him $8,000. So during World War I, these two both together swindled a Kokomo, Indiana banker out of more than $100,000. And that hundred grand is not even in today's money. It would be way more than that nowadays. And one time they set up an entire fake bank. They hired prostitutes, bookies, and ex-cons to act as bank tellers. Just to trick a millionaire into buying a bunch of surplus government land that the bank was authorized to sell. The land didn't even exist at all. Now, in order to set up this con, it cost both of those guys together about $50,000. But because of that scheme, they ended up making about $350,000. They had convinced this guy they were representatives of German interests. 
and playing on the fact that at the time it was embarrassing for Germans to own American securities. And uh, they talked this guy into buying fake stocks of an Indiana steel mill. And the best part is, is that bankers were a favorite target for Joseph Weil. In 1917, he concocted a scheme in which a Confederate posed as an Englishman and got a banker in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is where I'm from, to give him $15,000. A year later, Joseph Weil had set up six phony brokerage offices and had used counterfeit jp morgan and company stationery to create all this shit so even with all these schemes some of joseph wiles most talked about and most famous schemes are when he swindled benito mussolini yes the italian dictator out of two million dollars all right, another famous one is when he talked a cop into purchasing $30,000 worth of fake stocks from him while the cop was arresting him. That's how good this dude was, right? So in 1925, Joseph Weil was arrested and charged for writing a bum check. So he tries to get himself out of it by a con. He got the court-appointed doctor from the quote-unquote psychopathic laboratory to state that he found Joseph Weil to have the intelligence of a 16-year-old. And then Joseph Weil then argued that he could not defend himself because he was not smart enough to do it. The doctor's statement read, quote, He is foppish to the last degree, a moral imbecile. Possessed of a busy brain that is eternally plotting against somebody, but unaware that injury is being done to others. End quote. And the judge straight up only sentenced him to like 30 days. So that same year, Joseph Weil lost a Sheridan Road hotel. He had owned it and he had defaulted on his loan payments. And when a reporter from the Tribune asked him about it, he showed that he had a little bit of you know, philosophical talk to him, too. He said, Life is a funny proposition, after all. We are born, we live a while, and then someone forecloses the mortgage. <laughs> That's what he fucking said. In 1928, while he was serving time in a prison in Leavenworth, Kansas, he sent out letters to a bunch of Chicago people, and he was asking for money. In his letters, he said he needed the money to help his fellow inmates properly celebrate Passover. In his letters, he was claiming to be the president of the uh, Jewish congregation. I mean, this fucking guy just literally did it all. On February 3rd, 1934, he was arrested in Peoria, Illinois, with two suitcases marked $200,000 and filled with newspaper cut into money the shape of money now unfortunately the police had taken him into custody before he had actually committed any crime and then they had to let him go so in 1941 joseph weil had just got done doing a 27 month stint in a federal prison in atlanta georgia and when he gets out he announces that he was re totally reformed he wrote an autobiography, 
and pretty much lived out the rest of his life on the on the money that he had gained from his life and from the book his autobiography was written with the help of a biographer by the name of W.T. Brannon, and uh, it was pretty much like a tell-all memoir. If you want to get this book, like I said, it's like 13 bucks on Amazon for the paperback, brand new, and you can find them, you can find used ones too, but so interesting. I mean, so much shit that this guy did. It is said that in in today's money, in his life, he had stole right around $114 million. He was arrested 1,001 times, and he spent all of his money in high living and travel. And Joseph Weil was only jailed like a total of 10 years, which is not a whole lot considering he spent about two-thirds of his life making money illegally. Funny little side fact, each time Joseph Weil was arrested in Chicago, his goods were seized by a bailiff. That bailiff was actually his very own brother. So, like, obviously the two took totally different paths in their lives, which is interesting as hell, too. But uh, Joseph Weil ended up living out his days in a Chicago nursing home until his death. On his 99th birthday, the nursing home threw him a party. A Chicago reporter attended that party and said that the party was great, his high energy, and full of good fellowship. At the end of this party, the reporter saw Joseph Weil swipe a box of candles when he thought no one was looking. Even in this guy's old age, he could not help taking whatever was easily available. Shortly before his death, another reporter had visited uh, had visited him and brought him cigarettes and Sprite. He told uh, Joseph Weil that the Sprite was actually champagne. And when the reporter went to leave, Weil said, Keep bringing me cigarettes, but skip the pop. I know the difference, even though I'm over a hundred. So, the, uh, the reporter then asked Weil if, uh, if he were on the street, if he would still be scamming. And Joseph Weil replied to him, Does a hungry dog like food? <laughs> you know what I mean? When when Joseph Weil eventually did pass away in 1976, he was 100 years old. So Joseph Weil, he excelled quite a bit in social skills. Yet his ability to read people was so well-developed that he could tailor his statements to match exactly what people wanted to hear. In his autobiography, he wrote, The desire to get something for nothing has been very costly to many people who have dealt with me and with other conmen. But I have found that this is the way it works. The average person, in my estimation, is 99% animal and 1% human. The 99% that is animal causes very little trouble, but the 1% that is human causes all of our woes. When people learn, as I doubt they will, that they can't get something for nothing, crime will diminish and we shall live in greater harmony. So he himself was a con man, but he did believe there was an order of the world of gentlemen thieves. He said he only stole from people who deserved it, being quoted as saying, 
I never cheated an honest man, only rascals. They wanted something for nothing. I gave them nothing for something. He also believed that scamming women was the lowest of the low. When Sigmund Engel was arrested and finally charged for defrauding women over a five-decade career, Joseph Weil was quoted in the Chicago Tribune as saying, There isn't a day that someone doesn't abscond with a woman's money. Preying on the love of women for money is one of the most despicable ways of making a livelihood I ever heard of. I'm going to give you this last little thing here before I send you off. Check this out. This is from the Digital Research Library of Illinois History Journal. And it says, quote, A well-to-do businessman sold his warehouse business for a cool million. Not knowing what to do with himself without work, he decided to become semi-retired. He chose to oversee and manage the properties he still had, and of course, make a few deals on the side to keep himself sharp. One day he decided to sell an apartment building he owned. He chose a selling price of $8,000. A young man came to him, inquiring about the apartment building. After a bit of haggling, the businessman offered to sell it to him for $2,000 down and $6,000 to pay on interest. The young man offered to pay all $8,000 if the businessman could give him a few days to get the money together. Wondering how such a young man could possibly acquire so much money in such a short time, he asked just how he planned to get that dough. At first, the young man wouldn't tell him. Then after a while, he let loose his quote-unquote secret. The secret was that his uncle had been pushed around his whole career by a bunch of bigwigs in the business and finance world. They used his skill and gave him pennies when they should have been giving him dimes. Well, his uncle had helped him acquire a lovely lodge they had initially intended to use as a hunting lodge. Though it was rarely used, its value had climbed to $135,000. This keen uncle had told the investors it was worth only $35,000 and was looking for a setup man to sell it to before reselling it at its true value. The businessman instantly became enraptured at the idea of making such a large amount of money for minimal work. He asked if he could be the setup buyer. The young man tried to convince him otherwise, but eventually the businessman won out. A few short days later, a meeting had been arranged for the businessman to meet the young man's uncle and the lodge owners. On the train, the young man also had a friend who he said was a professional boxer and bodyguard. The businessman was so into the deal and the sweet, sweet cash he stood to make that he didn't notice he was in his 40s, a bit portly, and couldn't possibly be a professional boxer. They arrived at the meeting, and all went as planned, until one of the lodge owners also inquired who the boxer was. After finding out, they scoffed, and said their boxer would surely kick his buttocks back to the Stone Age. A heated debate began, ending in a bet being made for $50,000. After the meeting, the young man seemed anxious. The businessman asked him why. 
He told him he only had $15,000 to bet, but he knew who the other fighter would be and that they could bribe him to lose. The businessman, seeing even more money flash before his eyes, quickly said he would cover the $35,000 and use the winnings to pay for the lodge. That night, the two fighters shadow boxed in the hotel room. The businessman thought he was a genius. The next day the fight commenced. The money had been taken from the bank and placed in a lockbox, and things were working out as they had planned. The young man's fighter was making a mockery of the other man. Then out of nowhere, the other fighter throws a haymaker, causing the 40-something-year-old boxer to fall to the ground, spit out blood, and then lay motionless. One of the lodge owners stated that he was a doctor and ran to check on the boxer. After checking his pulse, he proclaimed he was dead. Panic enveloped the room. Not only were they gambling illegally, but they had also played the part in a man's death. They all fled the scene, including the businessman, who took the first train he could back home. Of course, he left behind the $35,000. The boxers, the uncle, and the lodge owners were all fellow con men working with the young man, who was Joseph Yellow Kid Weil, and they all made out quite handsomely. End quote. <laughs>